Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Leslie McDonald with Remax in Libertyville, Illinois. Last year, she closed 219 transactions with a total sales volume of $75 million. Her average sales price was $342,000, of which 39% were buyers and 61% were sellers. She operates a team with eight members, three buyer specialists, one closing manager, one listing manager, one social media manager, one admin staff, and one team leader. Leslie McDonald is the team leader of the Leslie McDonald team. She's been an agent for 28 years and works the Northern Illinois market. Leslie sold 3,374 homes worth $1.7 billion in her career, making her a billion-dollar agent. In this call, Leslie talks about starting part-time while she waitressed and selling 44 homes her first year generating her business from geographic farming, past clients, sphere of influence, and orphan clients. How she achieves a super high 71% net profit margin. Why she always gets every client's birthday during the transaction. Her monthly marketing plan to her sphere of influence. Monthly giveaways to her past clients. Past client Thanksgiving Pie Day and Christmas Party. How she picks her geographic farm areas why she includes a call to action in every marketing piece, direct mail campaign to her geographic farm, how systematizing her business tripled her production, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Leslie. Thank you, Mike. I'm pleased to be here today. Leslie, it's great to have you. Leslie, before we talk about what you're doing now, Let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, I don't know if you really want to talk about that because it's not very exciting. (laughs) But before I got into real estate, I was a waitress delivering newspapers and uh, a single mom, pretty much. And um, I decided that I needed to get out there and do something different to enhance my income capabilities since it was apparent I was going to be raising a couple kids on my own. Do you recall why you chose real estate? Yeah, interestingly, uh, at one point I lived in a condo and I had a lot of friends that lived around me and I decided to move and then I decided they should all move with me. So I was always trying to convince all of them to move to the place that I moved to because I really liked them. And uh, several of them said, you know, you should really get into real estate because you're you're doing pretty well at this. We're all moving because you told us to. (laughs) And uh, I looked at it as an opportunity to, to be honest, at the time I had young kids and I really looked at it as an opportunity to have time with my kids and really be in more control of my own time. And really in the very beginning, I thought of it as a supplemental income type thing to get myself out of, you know, 
financial trouble. I thought if I just had a few big commission checks, then I could, you know, move forward on what I really wanted to do in life, whatever that was at the time that I didn't know. Did you start real estate full-time or part-time? I actually would say part-time because I was still waitressing in the beginning. And, you know, that was the way I was putting food on the table. I, not having an income for even five minutes wasn't an option. So I was doing it part-time, but I was doing it in between jobs every minute that I could. So it was full-time with respect to as often as I could, but part-time in the fact that I was doing other things at the same time. Did you have a fast start or a slow start? Actually, I was pretty lucky. I had a very fast start. My first year, I worked for Coldwell Banker at the time, and I got I got Rookie of the Year for the whole company, interestingly. And it's because I went to their training, and they told me what to do, and I thought, okay, well, that's what I have to do. So I just did it nonstop, every day, without fail. And basically, it was a system, and I followed the system, and it worked out perfectly. Do you recall some of the components of those early days, the getting started, what exactly you were doing that was working so well? Yeah, I mean, most of what I was doing was I was calling on for sale by owners. And the one thing I was doing, because at the time, which was in 1986, the market was pretty good. And so I would go to them under the guise of, you know, I'm not really trying to list your house, but if I could come up with a way that... I could help you, like bring you contracts or something. If when your house sells by owner, would you be willing to give me the list of all the people that you've talked to? And that, that was one thing I did with the by owners. And very interestingly, last week I just sold a house of somebody, you know, we're talking, there was a long time ago, who came as a result of that list. And I've sold their family <laughs> probably six or seven houses. And we, we were laughing last week because she said, do you remember how you and I, you know, met each other. And I said, yeah, I said, you were on a for sale by owner list. And she said, when you called me, I thought, gosh, you have a lot of nerve taking this house I looked at by owner and calling me and asking me if I, you could help me. But she said, and you did have a lot of nerve. And I thought that was great. That's why I left you. So that was one thing that I did. Uh, another thing that I did was every single weekend, both days, I did open houses, Saturday and Sunday. And another thing that I did was we had floor time back in those days, and I literally took everybody's floor time that I could in between my jobs. Do you recall what your production was your first year? I want to say it was about $3 million, something like that. Wow. Back in 86. Yeah, it was $3 million. I think it was 22 transactions maybe. I think it was yeah, it was twenty two I think it was twenty two transactions and about three million. And back then the average sale price was lower, but I, I could be wrong. I'll I'll it might have been six million. I have to double check. I don't remember. Let's move forward into today. First of all, how many years now have you been in the business? It's been twenty eight. How many homes did you sell last year? We sold two hundred and nineteen homes. And that was about just under $75 million in, in volume. Wow. How many homes did you sell in your best year? Well, interestingly, my best year was 206 homes at just over $90 million, which tells you that our average sale price has decreased. Because I, I was thinking <laughs> to myself, if I took that average sale price, 
you know, this year, I would have been, you know, well over the 90 million mark, that's for sure. What year was that? Do you recall? That was 2006. How many homes have you sold in your entire career? Uh, over 3,300. Do you know the sales volume on that? It's just over $1.5 billion. Wow. So that makes you a billion-dollar agent. I guess so. I wish you'd be a billionaire. <laughs> but that's not the case. <laughs> maybe a millionaire, maybe, but not quite a billionaire yet. But that would have been a lot better. Oh, that's that's phenomenal. That's fabulous. That's some rare air. Congratulations. Thank you. Sure beats waitressing. The tips are a lot better. <laughs> well, Leslie, where is Libertyville, Illinois? It is about 30 minutes north of the city and about uh, 45 minutes south of the Wisconsin border. And when you say north of the city, which city? That would be Chicago. Is that a suburban area? Is it rural? What kind of community is that? It's suburban. population of Liberty itself is about 20,000. 20,000 in Libertyville. Is it a satellite of Chicago or is it a suburb? Does it go right up next to the, the main city, the Metroplex? No, it, it's, um, you know, when you go from the city, there's just several suburbs, you know, working your way north along kind of the lake, and then there's a, a middle quadrant, and then there's a western quadrant. So it's, it's basically, I can get down into the city of Chicago within about 40 minutes on a good traffic day, um, and I can get to Wisconsin in 40 minutes to their southern border. Would it be proper to call it a bedroom community? It, I would say yes, but it, ha- it has, it's, it's pretty, it's got an in-town, you know, it's got a downtown and it has, you know, Main Street, and there's very desirable to live around. It's very popular for that reason, Libertyville itself, because it has a downtown. It has kind of an area that's on, like, houses on acres, you know, and then there's another area that's kind of like your typical subdivision. So it's kind of interesting in that respect. So people that want to live, like, in town and walk to town and walk to the train, it's very, like, Main Street USA-ish, you know, but that's, that's not the only town I work. I kind of work an entire county, which is called Lake County, which is, Chicago is in Cook County, and then right after you get out of Cook County begins Lake County to the north, and in Lake County, there's a ton of suburbs. There's probably 15 or 20, and for the most part, we work all of Lake County. Do you know the population of Lake County? The Lake County population is over 700,000. Leslie, please describe your current real estate market. Our average sale price in here, now when you say, you know, my market, my average sale price is about 342, something around that range. The you know, and it depends on which town you're referring to because of course we have houses that are over a million and we have houses that are, you know, four million on Lake Michigan. So it's all it's it's such a wide range. I mean, you can get a, you can get a house in our county for eighty thousand, and literally thirty minutes to the east, you can buy a house on Lake Michigan for four million. It's such a diverse county. You mentioned a minute ago that you won't drive a far distance because the the values start falling off. So it sounds like you're targeting your price range that you like to work in. Yes, I definitely do. 
if it's a unique circumstance where it's a past client or their kids, of course, you know, for example, I just listed a house in an area that literally I probably would never have stepped foot in, but it was like my daughter's friend who played basketball with her and, you know, I had a relationship with her growing up. So, and, and her house was kind of on the way to my lake house, which made it a little more, hmm. it was kind of, there was a prize at the end of the, the route, but, uh, anyway, so I worked with her, but then she is also buying, you know, closer to my office in a higher price range. So for that, you know, we did work with her. Do you have a, a niche or a specialization in your market? I'm really very heavy farmer. I've always done my business that way from day one. I've never, you know, stopped doing it. Um, I know a lot of people say, oh, don't do it. It's, you know, it's the old way, old school, new school, whatever. You know, old school as a system has been absolutely positively the most consistent thing that I've done. And, you know, to this day, I'll go in someone's house and just last week I was at someone's house and there's the postcard I just sent out sitting on the table and they have the time written on it. I never met these people in my life. I I really, really work the farming. I really, really work my past clients. My past clients really believe that they are my best friends. If you were to identify the top three sources of leads and business, sounds like farming past clients, what would be number three? I would say just my sphere of influence at this point. And I mean, I have to put a slash in the past clients and add orphans to that. We really, really work the, um, and I know most people on this call knows what an orphan is, but if they don't, I'll just clarify that it is the past clients who purchase your listings. We work these people like they, they don't even know who their agent is by the time we get done with them. Unless it's, of course, one of my really good friends, then, you know, they're not on our orphan list. But I've been to so many houses where I walk in and they're like, oh, it's so good to see you. It's great to see you. And I'm thinking, I've never seen you in my life. But they believe, because I've been working them for so long, they think that they're saying, oh, we bought our house from you. And I'm thinking, I come back to the office and sometimes I have to even look because I'm like, Wow, they didn't, but they think they did. (laughs) They have no clue who their agent was. They don't even know. So you start marketing to the buyer or seller on the other side of the transaction from you, the co-op agent's client or customer after the transaction. You start marketing to them and pull them into your fold. Do you do anything unique or different for the orphans to pull them into the fold, or do you just put them into your system that you use to market to your past clients and sphere of influence? We literally launched a plan for them that's identical to the one that we do for our own past clients. One thing we do is we have a truck, which some people do. So we start even before the closing on our brochures. We say if they buy our listing, they can use our truck for free. So that's the first way we bond with them because then they have to come in the office, pick it up. They have to give us their driver's license. Now we've got their birthdays. So that's what we start with, and a lot of them do use our truck. And then um, the other thing that we do is immediately after the walkthrough, and again, I, I'm, my caveat here is that if it's somebody that you do a lot of business with in your market or somebody that you have a great relationship with, this would not be something you'd want to do because it wouldn't be too popular. But right after the walkthrough, before the closing, but after the agent and the buyer have left, we'll go into the house and we put a sketch in the house. We put a CD that contains the brochure to the house. And then we put a letter in there pretty much saying that, welcome to your new home. 
after you move in, if you'd like us to do a new visual tour for you so you can send a link around to your friends and family, we'll be glad to do that. And so that, that's what we start with. And then from there, we just start mailing them on their birthdays. We literally treat them like past clients. And once in a while, I'll get the hostile person. I mean, literally once every three years, it says, why are you sending me all this? I already have, you know, I have my agent. Okay, sorry. Somebody must have made a mistake. You're doing that because, you know, statistically, the majority of the agents are going to A, either follow the business or B, fail to follow up. And, and you're taking that opportunity to build that relationship. Yes. And we, we mail to them every single month in snail mail. And what our goal is, though, to try and get their email. That's always our goal. So once we get their email, then we put them into a different campaign. We also do, and I'm sure you've heard this before, I started this many years ago, and it really took off in the real estate world, the famous Pi Day. The Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we give away free pies to anybody who is our past client or orphans or whoever. We mail them a postcard. If we have their email, we email it. And basically what it says is, you know, email us, especially the ones at snail mail, because our goal is always to get them off the snail mail and save some money. But it's tell us which kind of pie you want. So there's a call to action. I will not mail out one thing to any human being that does not invite action. So in other words, I'm not going to mail out a postcard saying, I'm number one, I'm number one. You know what? Most people, you know, are of the what's in it for me mindset. So if there's not something on that postcard or whatever you're doing that gives them a call to action opportunity, it's a waste of money in my opinion. So all your marketing has some type of call to action. You're inviting them to take action. 100% of everything we put out, yes. It sounds like you may have not done that in the past and you learned that lesson. Yes, I did. You know, I think a lot of realtors and, you know, of course, when you're number one or whatever, you know, your tendency is to say, we sold more houses than anybody. And we do incorporate that in also to everything we do because, you know, we, and we try and make it something, though, you know, we sell a house every 1.2 business days or, you know, whatever it may be. Our latest mailer was something about, um, you know, our average sales price is 98%. The market average is 96%. I mean, and then we even we even quantified it based on where we were sending it. So if we had a farm that was $500,000, we would say at the top, it would say, can you afford to lose $10,000? And, you know, because, of course, that's the 2% difference. And, you know, someone's going to look at that and say, what does that mean? You know, and then at the bottom, it says we average 98% while the market average is 96%. So on an average $500,000 home, this is $10,000 more in your pocket. That's your list to sales price ratio, and you're comparing yours to the overall market or the overall MLS? Yes. Smart. You know, so if you're a seller and you're thinking about hiring, you know, selling your house, and the top of the postcard says, can you afford to lose $10,000? We live in a market where, where sometimes there's the same floor plans. You know, so if we sell one like way higher than the one down the street, we will send a postcard out saying, you know, because this is what talks to people. Knowing that I'm number one, what do they care? You know, they don't care. I mean, yeah, it's a nice add-on. But if I say, can you afford to lose $40,000? We just sold the house, you know, just like the house that sold before it for $40,000 more. I mean, if you're going to sell your house, you might be like, wow, I should talk to her at least, you know? Sure. As you said, it's something that's important to them. In this case, the money in their pocket. Exactly. Do you also advertise or talk about speed, average days on the market? Yeah, we do that. 
I tend to look more at the money side because, you know, most people, I think the greed appeals to them. And But if we sell something quickly, absolutely. I just sent it today. We just sent something out saying we had two houses that we sold in this neighborhood. One went under contract in four days. The other one took uh, like 42 days, but it was listed with another broker for 152 days. So on our banner, on our, clo- you know, sold banner, I put sold in whatever days and it was this property was previously listed with another broker for 152 days. I just put that right out, sent it out in an EDDM piece, which is every door direct mailer. And, you know, so that means I'm putting that thing in the hand of every realtor that lives in that town. And, oh, I can just see the feathers, you know, the feathers flopping when it comes in the mailbox. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm just going to laugh all the way to the bank because I don't care. And you're not slandering, for instance, because you're giving factual information, right? You're saying what exactly happened, and you're putting it out there. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I didn't say it was listed with so-and-so, you know, and she didn't sell it, of course. But And, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of realtors don't do certain things based on fear. And that fear is going to cost you a lot of money because, you know, five years from now, the people that you're afraid are going to get upset with you, they aren't going to be in the business. So who cares? We've been talking about it. Let's go ahead and dive in to your program that you use with your past clients and your sphere of influence. First of all, I assume that you have a database that you're maintaining. Do you know how many people you have approximately, how many past clients and sphere of influence you have in that database? I'd say about 1,600. My total database is over 10,000, but that includes attorneys and title companies and landscapers and, you know, all those types of people, but the actual about 1,600 of the past clients. The 1,600, are those just the past clients or does that also include people who haven't sold with you that you would think would be in your sphere of influence? Yeah, that would include people that are in my sphere of influence, like friends and family and, you know, that type of thing. It also includes the orphans. Every plan that we have, we have plans in there. Every single plan that we have ends in delete or relaunch critical so you don't end up with a stinking mess of a database. Delete or relaunch. And so what you're doing then is at the end of your marketing cycle, you're deciding whether you're going to keep these people in your database or not. Correct. How often does that come up? Now, I'm still an online agent user. I was going to convert over to top producer, but with what just happened, they had this whole data breach and I don't know. I just made a decision. I don't want to do anything that's solely web-based for that reason. Nobody could access their contacts or anything for a few days, and I know it's unusual, but I like my little dinosaur online agent. So within online agent, every single person that I could possibly make money as a result of, I guess is the best way to put it, is in there attached to some sort of plan. In other words, if we have what I call a buyer A plan, that plan, if you're new in the business, could be as literally simple as telling yourself to contact them once a week that it pops up on your activities to do. So let's say you have eight weeks of contact these people once a week that pops up when you log in. Well, at the end of the, on the ninth week, it's going to say, you know, the activity is delete or relaunch the plan. So at that point... I might relaunch the plan to a buyer B plan because it's obvious they're no longer a buyer A because they would have bought already. 
And we do that for our past customers. We have them divided up into past customers that are local and past customers that are out of area because we do de- different contacts for those different groups. So, I mean, the local ones are getting different things from us than the out of area people. When you delete one of your people out of the database, do you actually remove them from the database or do you relabel them and put them in a separate category called delete? Oh, they're gone. They're gone? They're gone. Why have people in there that aren't going to do you any good? So it sounds like you're constantly calling or reducing your list so that it doesn't get overloaded or overburdened. Well, here's the problem. If you have people in a, in a, a database and you don't have a system that reminds you to do something with them, you're going to have a stinking, rotting database of names. But there's no activities associated to those names. So unless you come across those names somehow, you're never going to even, you know, if you've got 2,000 people in there, I mean, who sits around and goes through every letter of the alphabet, you know, several times a week? So that's why in any kind of contact management, our team lives and dies by these plans, okay? We are the most systemized people ever. I feel that you need to have every single person that's in there that is a potential money-making person needs to be in a plan and they need to be in a category. And when I say a category, so let's say I have a seller who says I'm not going to sell my house for six months, which we all have those. I mean, and we've all, and this is what would happen to me, you know, I started doing this probably... Uh, I want to say about 91 or 92. I mean, literally my business went from, oh boy, I, it went up a lot. I want to say it went from like 21 million to something like 60 by getting systemized. I mean, it was huge. You've mentioned the word system multiple times here in just the last few minutes. When you say system, what do you mean? Define a system for us. Okay, well, in this office, a system is anything you do more than once needs to be in a system, and it needs to be somehow merged with a person so it becomes a consistent activity that is done and a reminder to do it. That's our system. So, I mean, I'm still sending birthday cards to people whose houses I sold 15 years ago, and I get little thank you notes all the time. One of them just told me like two weeks ago, you know what? We're not really too happy in New Jersey. We think in the next five years we're going to come back. And it's so great that you keep sending us your cards because we just don't want to forget about you. So it's a method of doing a repeatable process and you formalize it. It sounds like you're using electronic checklists. You're doing this all through online agent. Yes. Yeah. And there's top producer, there's realty juggler. I mean, there's a million of them. But that is literally when my whole, first of all, it's a lot of work on the front side, you know, because you have to make the plans, but it really isn't. If you sit down at your desk and, or a person would, were to be sitting down at their desk, you walk in your office, what's the first thing you do every day? You know, whatever that is, it might be turn on the lights and turn on your computer and whatever. It might be, um, I checked. My email, a lot of my friends, it's check Facebook before they check their email. Um, Then what you do is you start writing these things down and they become checklists. Well, with any of the contact managements now that are in place, systems, we have a house. The minute it goes under contract, we launch the under contract plan. Immediately, that plan then tells everybody on our team, and even if you're an individual agent, this would work. Because when you're an individual agent, 
at one point in 2004, I was an individual agent with a couple of admins. I was doing 68 million, which is really crazy when I think about it. And I literally almost had a nervous breakdown. I mean, I was looking for earnest money checks in the garbage every other day because I didn't know what I was doing. And even though I had the systems in place, I, I didn't have the time to really do what I needed to do, which is why I hired more people. But if I, if I hadn't had them in place as well as I do now, because I hired the people that are more anal than myself, I don't know where I would be because with this number of transactions, it's really, you know, we had literally 15 closings last week. So there is no way that one human being, I don't care if you're a superwoman, can remember every detail of who, when the walkthrough is, where the key is, you know, that type of thing. And, and these systems literally are an electronic checklist, just perfectly said, log in with your initials and it says deliver the, you know, check to the closing statement. Then you click done and it tells you what the next thing to do is. And that way, nobody's ever questioning what to do. If there was an agent listening who wanted to systematize their business, you mentioned it earlier, they would sit down at their desk, they would think of a task that is happens all the time, it's repeated over and over, and they would just start making a list of all the activities that they do to accomplish that. They would create a, a master checklist. That's correct. The beauty of this whole thing is once you have that master checklist, you never have to do it again because you just you know, all we really do in this business is the same thing over and over again. So, and we're always looking for the mortgage contingency date, the attorney approval date. So instead of writing it down on a calendar that you drive around with in your car, I mean, if you have it on your computer and you can actually sync it to your phone, you always know you don't have to lay in bed at night thinking, what did I forget? That in itself was the most freeing, mentally freeing thing. I, I can't even explain to you what systems did for my life. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know how I did it before because, and I'm not the most organized person. So a lot of people think, oh, wow, you sound really organized. I'm not. And actually, because I'm not, it was the best thing I could have done because it really helped me become accountable to myself. And it got you out of the trash can looking for earnest money checks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have a gal that's been with me for like 26 years. And honest to God, that was our joke. Of, we were always joking about it, saying that, you know, how did we, how did we do this? You know, when we, it was just us. So going back to some numbers, I know I'm probably sounding a little further away, but I'll, I'll get closer. Going back to some numbers. So in 1986... I did three, which is my starting year. I did 3.68 million. And that was 26 listings sold and 18 buyer sales. Wow. 44 closings. Yeah, for my first year. That wasn't too bad. You know, I had a little baby and I waitressed for about the first six months. And then my manager told me I had to quit. So I told her the only way I was quitting is that she would guarantee me that if I ran out of money, she would give me some. So she said she would. And so I finally decided to, you know, get gutsy. So all, from 1986 to 2000, I basically was always around 13, 14, 17 million, a couple years, you know. But in 2000 is when I really, really said, I got to get more focused on this system business because I know. So in 2000, I did 21 million. And by 2004, I was up to 59 million. 
So I said 68, but it was 168 transactions, 59,170,000 in 2004. In 2000, I was doing 21 million. So basically, I tripled my business in four years by getting systems. Well, Leslie, let's let's dig back into these past clients. Specifically, what do you do to stay in touch with your past clients? What are you sending out or what are you doing? What activity are you taking? What's the frequency of the activity? Give us some details. Basically, within my team and the buyer agents, will not get paid if they don't come back here with the clients' birthdays and their kids' birthdays. I mean, they just won't get their check. So generally, we aren't missing any birthdays. Um, And so every single adult in our past client, if we can get them from the orphans, they go in there. Usually we get them because they use the truck, so that helps. So everybody goes in there. On their birthdays, every single person gets a scratch-off lotto ticket on a birthday card from me that we make ourselves. We make the cards. We buy them at, like, staples and just go on the internet and make some cute art. We change them up every year. And then what happens is these cards are placed on my desk by the staff. So if you're an individual agent, hire somebody part-time, you know, you can have a high school kid come in and do it. So these people are placed in the database with their birth dates and in the database it automatically pops up that it's their birthday. Every Monday I come in, I probably have 30 cards sitting on my desk. They're all addressed they're stamped. There's a lottery ticket inside. This is for birthdays now. And then I handwrite a note inside that pertains to them in some manner. For their wedding anniversary, we send them a $10 movie gift card. This year we had a guy call and say, thank God you sent it early. I forgot it was my anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) We, We were way above and beyond 10 bucks in his world. Then for the kids on their birthday, we send them a Baskin and Robbins ice cream. You know, they have a little credit card that you can buy. So we send them a Baskin-Robbins gift card for an ice cream. We also have a kid's book club. This was an old Star Power idea. When we close, we ask for the kids' birth dates if we haven't gotten them. And we will say, we'd like to enroll you in our book club. We send them a $5 Barnes & Noble gift card. If you send us a book report, we'll send you another one. So... We get the cutest little book reports in here. It's like, we just love it when we get them because they'll send us these book reports. It's the funniest thing. I just read about cat underpants, you know, great. We all just laugh, you know, but so those kids will consistently, as long as they send us a book report, keep getting them. I don't care for the next 10 years, you know, and we, all these things are just sitting in a drawer ready to go out. So that's what we're doing for our past clients. For the ones that are out of area, Obviously, the scratch-off lotto tickets wouldn't really do you much good if you have to come back to Illinois. So we'll put $2 bills, which you can still get at the bank, and say, you know, hope you can buy a winning lotto ticket on us type thing. Then we also have a rotation of cards. We call it the 6-month card, the 12-month card, the 18-month card, and they're basically just random cards that say things like, with a key on the front, they'll say, clients like you are key to our success or it'll be a saying about loyalty, or it'll be, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, just, it's our own keep in touch program that we just came up with, and we just, every year, replace the cards. It's not that hard to do with something different. And it's all sitting on my desk, ready to go out. When you say it's sitting on your desk, is that because you're going to put in another handwritten note or sign them off? Every single one, I write something in it. It could be the, like, 
you know, on the, on the latter tickets, you know, if it's some people that I'm not having this super close relationship with, I'll say something like, um, you know, best of luck to you. Hope your year ahead is filled with good luck, health, and happiness. You know, or I'll say have a happy and lucky day or, you know, whatever. And then if it's somebody I have more of a relationship, you know, which we all have those people, then I'll write something completely different. But it's always a handwritten note, and I write it myself. And I always somehow try and say, you know, hopes you win so Scotty can get a new baseball or try and incorporate their kids or something in their life, their dog, their pet, into my handwritten note. And how do I do that, by the way? Because they're in my database with the names of all these kids or pets or whatever in the database. And you've kept notes in that database on all these details. Well, the kids are already in, in the database when you have a family. You know, the, the parents are in there. The kids' birthdays are in there. And then if they have a pet, because getting to the pets, you know, we do all have clients that don't have kids, but their kids are their pets. So every year in December, we do customized ornaments for every single client gotten pretty costly um, that celebrates Christmas, which most of them we know who does and who doesn't, with the year. And on the back, it has from Leslie and my phone number. They're dough ornaments. They cost like $10 each. I think we switched a couple years ago. We were using a company called Mistletoe Memories before, and then we just started using, like, I think it's called the Ornament Shop. They're local, but they, they ship anywhere. And I think it's about $10 an ornament, so needless to say, we're probably getting about, last year I think my bill was over 5000 But every year, I have people take pictures of their Christmas tree that's all my ornaments because they've been getting them for 22 years from me. How often then are these people hearing from you? Okay, so every single month we do a drawing. And I know in some states I'm going to give it the caveat because, you know, I don't want to get you to get 20 phone calls saying, oh, we can't do that. Some states you cannot do it, but in our state you can. We send out either a postcard or most of our clients are now on email, but for the ones that aren't, whatever we, we're snail mailing, we're sending out in a, a, an email, and it's very graphically appealing. And basically every month we have a drawing. So in August, for example, we'll give away eight $25 gift cards to Target. In July, we'll do... Um, Omaha Steaks, you know, um, and usually, I mean, you could do four if you want, four twenty-five. It's going to cost $100 plus the mailing. And if you're not mailing, if you don't want to mail, and you're new in the business, almost everybody has all their clients' email addresses. I mean, it was, it was quite the challenge to go back and try and get all this after years. And the way that I did it was by snail mailing these postcards and having people email to ed- register in the drawing. So every single month we give away something, and it's usually something that's pretty attainable and somebody would want, like $50 gifts. We usually try and keep the giveaways part to about 200 a month. So we'll send out 500, you know, blast emails, for example, and, you know, we'll get like 250 people. And it's so interesting because we really try and vary what we're giving away based on personality styles. So one month we might give away... Um, like Valentine's Day, we gave away a dinner, you know, dinner for two or $50 gift certificate to the restaurant of your choice. In January, we appealed not the romantics and gave away eight radon detection test kits. We had so (laughs) many responses for that. And here's the deal. It's like I was saying, if you're thinking of selling your house, you might want to get one of these. I mean, that worked out great for me. 
I got a bunch of weeds <laughs> selling. That's great. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a great idea. What, what else have you been giving away? These are all great ideas. Um, June, we're doing Cub Tickets, which is our baseball team. May, we did for Mother's Day, we just did Visa gift cards. Said, you know, take mom shopping. February was restaurants. August is Target. November, we do pies. You know, we give away. So, so November is the pie thing, which has become unbelievable. It started out the first year, we did like 30 pies. Last year, we did over 250. Wow. So we like literally overtake our entire office <laughs> because we, we put them all in the conference room. And when you sit and a lot of people have asked me, well, why won't you just give them a gift certificate to a pie to go to Baker Square and get a pie or whatever? The whole point is to have them come to the office. This particular year, I was on crutches and like four days post-surgery, so I got a lot of the sympathy while I hobbled up there with their pie on my crutches. <laughs> they were very impressed. That Go I the extra to... mile. Keep, now, keep in mind that the previous years, I've never shown up, but the year of the crutches, I thought, oh, this is good. You know, I'm going to just bring <laughs> my crutches and hobble up there. And I mean, really. But it was a great day. It was so, it was, so we always do it the Tuesday before, and they have to come to the office to pick it up. And what will amaze me is sometimes people drive 25 miles to get this pie. So the key to the pie is it's got to be something you can't get in the grocery store. In our case, there's like a town in Wisconsin called Lake Geneva. And this we get our pies from the Lake Geneva Pie Company. So it's very, you know, it, it's just not something you're going to go to the store and buy. A couple of my friends have done Costco pies, which are gigantic, you know, for nine bucks. But I like to do something a little more specialty. And, and we just... I mean, we have people fighting because they want two instead of one, and we had some interesting scenarios this year. My daughter just started working here, and she's like, wow, I can't believe people are so crazy about a pie. I'm like, you're right, they are. I just don't know what to tell you, but they are. The pie thing is big. So the pie, and here's my thinking. Some people do it in July. My thinking is do it in November because if people are going to think about selling their house, it's going to be in the new year. So that personal touch, plus the next month, they're going to get an ornament from me. When they flip it over to put it on their tree, on the back of it is my name baked on it, baked on the back of it and my phone number. So when they go to put that ornament away, when they're taking their tree down, and they're like, oh, you know what, your phone number, I mean, I've had people tell me, they're like, oh, this is great, your phone number's right here, we'll just call you and keep the ornament out. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Are you saying that you are the person that came up with the idea of the pie giveaway, or did you hear about this from someone else and adapt it to your market? No, it was... My idea, and I, it was, I've been doing it for a long time. Well, here's what I can say. I heard somebody else talking about giving people gift certificates for pies. That's where I first heard it. And I thought, well, that's kind of stupid. You know, I'm sorry if that's what people do, you know. <laughs> but my thinking is, you know, is when they eat that pie, you know, it's over. Of course, they eat it and it's over. So, but when they come here to pick it up, my thinking was I, I was at a buffini seminar and they were talking about the Popeyes 
And I'm thinking, well, there's no way I can go pop by, nor do I want to. I mean, not that I'm knocking it, but I have this habit of if people think I'm their friend, I can never get out. So my thinking is, I'm going to bring them to me. How could I do that? What could I give people? And that's where the idea came into my head. But my main goal of doing all these drawings initially was to capture email addresses of people that I sold between, you know, 86 and 2000 before we had any of their emails. So each time I collected somebody's email address, because that's the only way they can register, we did a little tweak of it. I, I hired a new gal this year, and she came up with the idea of when we do send something out, because we did have a call to action, which is they had to register, and then it would be a form that they would have to fill in their you know, phone number, and then we got their email. But she added something like it was a mandatory field that said, are you planning to buy or sell in the next 12 months? The first months we did it, I got eight solid listing leads of people that I had no idea were going to move. Wow. Moving in the next 12 months. Yep. And, you know, some people would say funny things like, you know, not really since you just sold me my house last week, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And then when those people, when I would see those come in, I would actually myself reply to them and say, well, do you know anybody looking to move? So what we've been doing is rotating, you know, on on the mailings that we're doing, or most of them are email now. We're rotating those two things so they don't get sick of seeing the same thing every month. So we'll say, do you know anybody or are you? It became a mandatory field. So they have to fill it out in order to register for whatever. So the drawing was initially to capture emails. However, it's been working so well in, in creating this interaction with your past clients that you've continued it. And it sounds like you'll continue to do it through the future. It sounds like this is your, your, one of your best ways to stay in front of those folks once a month. Yeah, and then in between that, they're getting birthday cards, anniversary cards, and then they're getting these keep-in-touch cards, which basically are sent out, I'd say, three times a year in addition. So at six months, they'll get something. At nine months, they'll get something. And at 12 months, they'll get something, and then it just repeats itself. But it's not the same cards. It's, you know, it, we have, like, we have cards, and we have them labeled 12-month card, 18-month card, 24-month card, 54-month card, and in the system, it pops up which one goes out. So I have a, a person that works on the weekends, and that's what she does all weekend long, and she also does it for the buyer agents that are in here. So when they, everybody comes in on Monday morning, there's a stack of cards on their desk. They don't know what month card it is. They just know they're supposed to write a note in it. All they have to do is write a note. It's already it's already stamped, posted, ready to go out the door. So it's so easy. You're doing a lot of direct mail and email. Do you make any phone calls to your past clients? I would like to say that I do, but not that often. I probably should get better at it, but I really don't have time at the moment. So I would say, not, you know, yes, if it's people that I have, you know, a lot of them I do social things with. For example, I went to lunch this week. One of the things on my plans are lunch question mark. And the question mark is, would I want to spend that lunch with them? <laughs> and if the answer is yes, then I will call them, invite them to lunch. I just went to lunch with one of my clients and we were talking and she's like saying, yeah, you know, I'm going to retire next year. I had no idea. I'm going to retire next year and I think I'm going to move to Santa Fe. I'm like, really? I go, that's so surprising. You just bought your place like two years ago. She goes, I know. Blah, blah, blah. So I said, do you have an agent in Santa Fe? Came back to the office, referred her out. And I'm like, okay, that was like, you know, $2,500 lunch. (laughs) That was pretty good. So, yes, I 
keep in touch with them that way. And I have a huge, huge party every year that they're all invited to. Do you have a certain number of lunches that you're trying to do each month or each year? I try and at least take one client to lunch a week. You also mentioned this huge party. Tell me about the huge party. So I have a Christmas party. It's at my home every year. It's like everybody wants to be invited to it because you know, when people refer me to people, they're like, yeah, we heard about your parties. We want to use you so we can come to your party. We heard it's a blast. So it's at my home. It's between 200 and 250 people coming and going. It's kind of like from 7 till whenever. So some people come at 7, some people come at 9. I have valet parking. I do a Toys for Tots collection, which has gone over huge. So everybody that comes on my invitation says, please, in lieu of hostess, get bring a toy for Tot. And standing at my front door, I have fully outfitted, unbelievably gorgeous Marines standing there. And they're, you know, there's usually four, four of them because we get so many toys now. My moving van's in the driveway, and they put the toys in the van, and they take it. So we have a DJ. I have a horse and carriage that rides around the neighborhood. And it, it's in the evening. Some people bring their kids. Not that many. It's more of an adult thing. And then the whole thing is catered. This has been an evolution. When I first got in the business, I was not doing this type of Christmas party, of course. You know, it's, it's evolved into this. But so when you don't have any money, you can do things totally different and still, I mean, you could go to a, a pizza place and have Santa there giving out $10 presents. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do. It doesn't have to go to that extent. But it evolved into that. And, you know, it cost me probably, I would say, around $10,000 a year. But every single time I get business out of it, I mean, a lot of business out of it, because I'm seeing these people, you know, and, and I make them all wear name tags just a little, because, you know, of course, I'm the only one that looks the same. They all just get older. So they <laughs> 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 wear name tags. So I know who they are. I have I have a person at the front door making people put on name tags so I don't get tripped up by, oh, who are you, you know? Sure. And we'll invite 700 people and 200 to 250 come. Your database is 1,600. So how do you decide who to invite and who not to invite? I pretty much invite everybody local. I don't invite orphans, though, unless they've been somebody we've been in real close contact with. So in other words... You know, obviously, out-of-town people aren't going to fly in for it. Orphans, eh, I'm not so sure I want to do that because I really don't know them, and, you know, that could turn ugly. So it's mainly just the past client local category, and then I go through it. And for the most part, I invite all of them. I know that, like I said, two-thirds of them aren't going to come. But the way that our invitation is worded, it's like Leslie and her, and her family and realize that a lot of these buyers I haven't met because they're going directly to my buyer's agents. So it really, it, it's kind of nice because I get to, I, I've seen these names, but I haven't met these people. So, and they'll just say, wow, we just can't believe you open up your house like this every year. It's so nice. And, you know, so I shower them the last quarter of the year with so much if they're even thinking they're going to sell, you know, you know, you're going to get those calls January 10th, 15th, February 1st, it'd be really hard to forget that they knew me. Leslie, what percentage of your business comes from these past clients and the sphere of influence? I would say like 40% and 38% coming from direct mail. And the rest is just coming from miscellaneous stealth sites and some social media. 
you know, and people that are poo-pooing the whole Facebook thing, I literally just closed yesterday in a house that I was on this, I, I joined this group called, it was like called Mundelein Moms, which is just a Facebook group of moms. I don't even live in Mundelein, but I just asked to be in it and they let me in there. And I watched this whole thread of somebody going on there saying, hey, does anybody know a good realtor? You know, and I saw all this dialogue and a bunch of my clients were on there and a few of them recommended me. And then I chimed in and said, I would love to help you. So it was a short sale and it was kind of out of my area. But I ended up, I went up there anyway, and you know, which is really unusual for me. But I talked her on the phone. She's really nice. I thought, okay, well, it's on the way to, everything is in my mind is if it's on the way to the lake house. It's not a big deal. Because <laughs> it's on my way to having happiness, so it's not out of my way then. And that person referred some other guy to me whose house I just sold. So her house was like 240 and his house was 180 So, I mean, that was just, that was free just from being on Mundelein Moms, you know. Um, every single day, speaking of Facebook, I scan it twice a day in the morning and at night, and any single posting by any customer of mine, I will comment on or like it or something 100%. I, I scan it for my clients and I'm, and that is my way of like calling them on the phone mentally and having some sort of dialogue. Well, Leslie, we've talked about your past clients. You mentioned another large source of business for you is farming and you've been doing it for a long time. Let's get into the farming. How big is your geographic farm? How many, how many houses? I would say it's just under 10,000, but it, it's different towns. Like one town, there might be 2,000. One town, there's 4,000, you know. And I am using EDDM, which is, I'm sure most people know, but I'll tell you what that is. It's Every Door Direct Mail. It is the most economical way of mailing right now. It's basically, you just pick a town. I mean, you can pick carrier routes as well within that town. And then, so it doesn't really quite go by subdivision, but it goes by carrier route. And if you go on their website, it shows you, you know, how to do it. So we're creating the postcards in-house, and then they are printing and mailing them. And a lot of people say, well, oh, you're doing that, but you're just putting your postcards in the hand of every single realtor. You know what? You're right. But to save five to $8,000 a month, I can get over that real quick because they're not going to do it. So I don't care. How big is the postcard? Are you doing a, a standard size postcard, like a quarter of a sheet of paper? Are you doing jumbo cards? Sometimes we do eight and a half by 11. Sometimes we do, it's bigger than five by eight. I think it's like six and a half by nine or something. Sometimes we do those. And sometimes we do the big ones because the big ones aren't that eight and a half by 11 ones aren't that much more to mail. And they're so impressive looking, you know, compared to what everybody else is mailing out. How often are you mailing? Are you mailing monthly? It depends on where certain certain towns where I have like really high market share. You know, there's towns where I'm at like 22% once a month. You know, like in farming respect, there's like one town that I've got 22% of the market share. So in the ones that I want more market share, definitely more frequently. I went to a CRS seminar and listened to a guy talk this year that did a great, and he was taught, he had a plan of like, it was seven days, 14 days, 21 days, 30 days. And then it went to like, I forget exactly. But so I started doing that 
in the one neighborhood that I wasn't getting as much as I wanted. And literally, I have two houses that are under contract right now. One of them is the one that I was telling you that we sold it in 39 days, and the other agent took 152. So it was expired, and they got that. And I walked in the door, and she had it in her hand. So, What message are you putting on the card? Okay, as I told you, there's always a call to action. It might be for a market analysis, you know, for if you'd like consultation with a stager. And what I do with the stager is, which is kind of interesting, I tell them, okay, I'm going to give you a stager phone number. She's our stager. You can call her. And if you, if you list your house with us at the closing, we'll reimburse you. So it doesn't cost me a penny. So in other words, I'm offering them a stager service, but I'm really not paying for it until the closing. You're going to pay for it up front, and when your house closes, I'll reimburse you. Here's her number. Give her a call. That's a great idea. That way I'm not paying for 400 staging calls that I'm getting nothing out of. Is the postcard just the call to action, or do you have something else on the card as well? So, for example, I have one that, you know, right now that we're sending out this week, and it's, you know, the subtitle is The Market is Hot in Greg's Landing, which is a subdivision, and I work at the average sale price is like 600000 Underneath it has everything we've sold in that neighborhood, pictures of them, and comments under each one, such as sold above average market, under contract in 11 days, sold above average market in 8 days, under contract in 12 days, sold for top price in 4 days, and of course the one that took 100 years to sell, we have listed and sold by the Leslie McDonald <laughs> We don't say it took 10 years to sell. And then at the bottom... We put like a tagline, now is the peak time to sell your house before the market cools. And then on the flip side, we have our call to action. And basically that is for your free and automated neighborhood market report, go to www. And then that leads them to a stealth site, which I is through RealPro. So the card you're sending out, is the card you're sending out branded? It has your picture and your company and and so forth on it. Yeah. Yet when you're sending them over to get their CMA, you're sending them to a stealth site, which is not branded. It's it's just a generic site. Is that correct? Correct. Why did you choose that combination? Have you experimented and that works better? Well, here's the thing. On the front side of the postcard, where I have now is a peak time to sell your home before the market cools, at the bottom, I have my website. Okay. All right. At the flip side of the postcard, which is the back side, It talks about Leslie McDonald sells a home every 1.1 business days. You know, how much of your home value can you afford to lose? Choosing the right realtor makes all the difference. And we have the line, the Leslie McDonald team routinely sells homes for 4% higher sales prices than the average market in half the time. And all this is documented because, you know, every realtor on the planet will take me to task if it's not. And then we have the little asterisk with what all these numbers were that came from. And then we have don't undersell your home, call us first. And then at the very bottom of that side, it says for your free and automated neighborhood market report, go to www.lakecountyillinoishomes.com. So we're giving them two opportunities. One opportunity is they don't have to see anything on my site. So this makes it look like you don't have to really talk to a realtor. You can just go to this site and get a value. So both on that one same postcard. And on the front of the card, do you direct them just to your homepage of your website, or is that going to a branded CMA site? No, on the front of the card, it's going to my actual website. On the back of the card, it's an unbranded stealth CMA site. My thinking on this was I want to give them two, an option of anonymity in their mind. How long have you been sending out this format? I've always done some call to action on every postcard. 
But this year, this person that I hired has been doing a really terrific job of just making these things look great and standing out. And I'm telling you, every time I get a call that I don't know the people, I go in there and the postcard's sitting right next to the phone. So I, I can really attribute a lot of, you know, a lot of business to it. And we're just, we had such a busy month. We're really trying to, you know, narrow down sources and all that, but we've just been so busy. Very big on tracking. And that's why I could literally tell you $3,668.771 in 2006 because I literally track absolutely everything. I could tell you what person, there's two people that I sold houses to in 1986 that haven't moved. And I could tell you without even looking who they are because I've, you know, I have all this data. So you've been tracking that data for a long time. Is that innate? Is that just part of your personality? Or did somebody clue you in on that early? Somebody clued me in on that early. When I went to my initial training, here was my archaic system. Because, and funny, I really didn't know the importance of systems, but I knew I had to have one. So, you know, when I went to the real estate class, they said, okay, you've got to work the past customers. You don't lose them because, you know, they're the easiest people. So I had a three-ring binder, and every time I had a closing, I would take the MLS printout back in the day of what they bought, and I would staple it to a blank piece of paper, because remember, 1986, we didn't have computers. I would staple it to a blank piece of paper, like with their name, address, their birthdays, whatever. And I had... so. The way that I was able to put this into this type of format was I hired a C personality, very analytical person, and handed him all these binders back in like 13 years ago, I think it was. I was very organized. It had the people's name. It had the year. And, and then, of course, with you know technology, it became easier and easier to go backwards. Now, I mean, if you don't have people's birthdays, you know, six times out of ten, you can go on Facebook and get it. Leslie, this this farm, you've got 10,000 total, but it's spread out all over. I assume you started with a small farm first. How did you pick where you were going to farm, and, and how do you continue to pick your farm areas? It's interesting you would ask that question, because when I started tracking, I really started thinking about, you know, because at one point I was just mailing to the whole town, and I started tracking what I was getting and what I realized by doing this tracking, because the person that did it for me, because, of course, I'm not an Excel person. As I told you, I was a waitress, so I didn't go to uh, the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University. <laughs> um, but uh, in my tracking, so this person I handed all the data to put them into these pies. Well, you know, obviously it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at this pie and say, okay. And, and what she did was in the pie, she listed all the neighborhoods. And I'm like, hmm, I'm getting 3% of my business from Plymouth Farms, which is an average sale price of, you know, 80000 back at that time. And I'm getting 6% of my business from, you know, Greg's Landing or whatever, more expensive neighborhood. I don't know if that would be that neighborhood at the time, but let's just say $400,000 neighborhood. So why am I even bothering with this 3%? I should take that money and double it up on the other one. And I could not have seen that if I wasn't seeing this on, you know, in this pie chart, like, why am I mailing to all these inexpensive places when I could double up my efforts in the more expensive places, spend the same money and get twice the return, three times the return, you know? So that's what I did. Now we're doing EDDM. So it's going everywhere. 
it's funny. Those people have kind of almost taken themselves out of the game. They don't even, in the lower ones, because of what I'm sending out, I don't get a lot of those calls. But it's no less or more money to send there than it is, you know, anywhere else. But you're not mailing to every address in your city. You said you're sending out to 10,000. You have, I think, 20,000 right there in your city. So you're not sending out to everyone. You're still using some type of selection process. Are you going after a certain price range at this point? Or is it just where you've been successful? I'm still trying to get an idea of how you are selecting your farms. I understand that you sent out generically. You saw where you had success and where there were higher price points and you doubled up there. Any other strategies you've used to pick your farm? No, it's all price-driven. How so? In our geography and same thing with anywhere else, you know, you have two neighborhoods that are right next to each other, so obviously we'll mail to that one, but then you have one out as an outlier that, you know, there's maybe five houses sell there a year. So when we pick our carrier routes, because that's how EDMM works, you pick the carrier routes that you mail to. So the carrier routes basically identify the neighborhood more or less. And that's how we identify where we're going to mail to. I mean, you know, we sat down and said, okay, here's the map. Nope, nope, yes, 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 yes. So within that carrier route, every single address is getting what we're sending. But it's a carryout pre-selected. And how are you doing the nope, nope, yes, yes, yes? Are you trying to work the bottom of the market, the middle of the market, the upper end of the market? Are you selecting it that way? How are you picking yes, no, yes, no? I'm not working the bottom of the market. No is the bottom of the market because it's all short sales, foreclosures, and people that don't have any equity for the most part. So, no, I'm really not interested in marketing there. And then, of course, the buyers can't get financing either. So it's like, no thanks. So are you picking mid-market, upper market? I'd say mid to upper, mid to upper. I, I, I have a lot in the mid. And mid here is like four to 600 is mid. You know, we don't have any like $10 million homes here, you know, so... Upper upper here would be, you know, a million three in, in the market that I in particular work. Now, if you went to the North Shore, which is along Lake Michigan, that's Kenilworth, Lake Forest, you know, Winnetka. I mean, that's where, but that's really, that's like almost like a whole, at one point we were a different MLS than those people. So it really segregated kind of, okay, you're a Lake County agent and even there in Lake County, they wouldn't ever like step into our lowly little territory, and I wouldn't be knowledgeable to go over there and sell a $4 million house because I just don't do a lot of business over there. When you're selecting these farm areas, are you looking at turnover rates or days on the market, or is it strictly price range? It's a combination of average price and turnover rates. I mean, the average price for me has to be pretty much at least 200 those neighborhoods sell pretty quickly. So that's what I'm saying. Like I wouldn't, there's an an area within this area that I would consider that's 200, but they don't sell quickly. So I don't have that on my roster. But then there's another neighborhood that's 200 that sells literally in less than 30 days. When you first started your farm way back, how big was your first farm? Do you recall? Well, what I would do, I wouldn't even really call it a farm back in the day because I didn't have enough money, remember? So I would only send out just solds every time I sold something. So literally the minute I sold something, I would send out a just sold to everybody in that subdivision because my market is very much a bunch of subdivisions. So if I sold a condo in Lake Park Manor, for example, I would, back in the day, because we didn't have all these things that are available to us now, 
I would literally have a postcard made by a company, and then I would put labels on it and take it to the post office and send out a just sold. And almost every time I did, I'd get some kind of phone call. And then as I got more money, then I started doing more of like a geographic monthly, this is what we're going to do kind of a thing. Well, Leslie, I want to talk about your team. Could you list out for us the positions on your team and the basic tasks of each of those positions? I have three buyer specialists, and basically their only task is to work with buyers. They don't do any listings. They don't do anything else. They just literally handle our buyer leads. I have a closing manager who I would also call my office manager, and she kind of runs the whole show in here. She's a high C, being if no one knows what that is, highly detail-oriented, everything I'm not. She's the person I've hired myself around, <laughs> around myself. She handles all our closings. She's in charge of ordering, you know, when we run out of folders. I mean, I have no idea if we have folders or not. I have a listing manager, and her job is she takes the pictures, she creates the brochures, she puts things in the MLS, she does the feedback report, so she's consistently kind of the liaison with the sellers. And then as soon as their house goes under contract, they get moved over to the closing manager. And then I have the social media person that basically she's doing our marketing and our social media, which is posting things on our business page, trying to get reviews on Zillow and Trulia and all that. She's also in charge once we put things in the computer of getting our listings onto those sites, making sure they're well represented. And my job is I'm the only one currently doing listings. I am going to have a listing partner starting here in about a month because I'm really interested in cutting down on the number of listing appointments I'm going on. And my job is basically to, you know, make it all happen. Leslie, did I miss a position? Is there an admin staff person? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I do have an admin person. And this is another, and I'm glad you brought it up because it would be... It's really bad if I didn't talk about this. So this person works Saturday and Sunday. And as I mentioned earlier, she's kind of like our gal Friday. She does all the birthday cards, anniversary cards. The other people are way too busy. She works Saturday, Sunday, and three days during the week. And it was amazing how easy it was to find somebody that did that. Before she came to work here, she was working in retail. But before that, she was a mortgage loan processor. So she works Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and she's off Thursday and Friday. And She's very happy with that. And so my phone on the weekends never goes into voicemail. She's in charge of, if I get an offer in on the weekend, let's say somebody emails me an offer, the first thing I do is send it back to her. And we have a template that they basically fill in the template so I don't have to look at the contract. It tells me the purchase price, the earnest money, the close date. It's a very quick formatted template that um, enables me not to have to like micro- Scopically look through my phone and they send me the template, they send it to the seller, and that's how it works. That's a great little system right there, the contract template. Yeah, so basically, what the contract template is, it's like it, it's a, a template that's made every time we get an offer and they just fill in the blanks and then they email it. So I'll get the offer, I email it to them. My word is send me details and send to seller. So they send the contract to the seller. And when they send it, they point out any discrepancies in the listing agreement versus the contract. And then they also point that out to me so I don't have to, you know, we all know in real estate, you go to someone's house, they exclude the refrigerator, 
and then somebody puts it in the contract and then you find out, oh, I missed it somehow because you didn't look at the listing agreement. They thought, well, it was excluded in the listing agreement. And, you know, so this avoids that whole mess because they're in the office here looking at the listing agreement and the contract and telling me what doesn't match up. Would you mind disclosing to us how you've structured the compensation for, say, your buyer specialist? Buyer specialists are 50-50, and, and that's pretty much it. I mean, they get 50%. They're 50-50 split and there's no adjustment for volume or years time served with you or anything else. It's just a 50-50 split and it doesn't matter what type of business it is, whether they generated it or you generated it. Nope, it's 50-50. If they generate a listing lead outside of my sphere or whatever, I would say that then they'll get 25%, but they don't have to do anything. If their sister calls and wants to list their house, they get 25% and I get the rest. When you're looking to hire a buyer specialist, are you looking for people with experience or without? Every person on my team was experienced before. One of them was my admin person who's been with me for over, for 26 years. And it was her and I for the longest time. And her first year, she made 250000 and sold 48 houses. And that's because she had been sitting here listening to me. So she really went to real, we, we had the same office. So she really went to real estate school for a long time. <laughs> and what what happened was I was paying her so much as an admin because over the years I kept giving her raise after raise. We got all the way up to, you know, 90000 and that was a few years ago for admin pay, which was ridiculous. So I thought, okay, I've got to figure out what to do, and we needed more help. So then it's like, well, this is going to be a disaster. So I said, do you want to become an agent? And she said, perfect, I'm sick of this admin stuff. So she became an agent, and then I hired two people to replace her because we didn't have enough help at that time. Are you profitable? My expenses are at 29%. If you really think about some of the things that I've told you that I'm doing, a lot of it's web-based, you know, like in our drawings, we're sending them out. The monthly drawings only cost two, our giveaways are only $200. These cards, we're making them ourselves. So I'm very budget conscious. That's why I'm not doing billboards. I'm not doing radio. I'm not doing, I'm not going to spend eight to 10000 a month on these types of things. I'm not saying it doesn't work but I'm very, very bottom line conscious. I, I, I am income driven, not ego driven. And so I'm just doing whatever I have to do to get business. And if you really think about what I'm doing, my client party's 10,000, my ties are 5,000, my, my drawing giveaways, you know, it just really doesn't add up to a whole lot of money. My three buyer's agents are compensated by themselves, you know, the closing admin, those, those four people, I mean, my, my head person is, you know, at about 80000 and the other ones are 50, 45, and about 40. So, really, I don't have a ton of expenses. You know, I just don't. The company that I work for doesn't get any split of my commission. I just pay like a flat desk fee, basically. Do I understand correctly that your your net profit that drops to the bottom line is around 71%? So $100 of commission comes in the top, $71 goes home with you? You got it. Wow. Well, if you think about what I'm telling you I'm doing from a marketing standpoint, pretty much the only thing I'm spending any kind of substantial money on really is the direct mail. You know, because everything else is pretty inexpensive. Like even, you know, when we close on a house, we don't do $150 closing gifts like a lot of people do. We put a 
sketch that we print on our computer in a cardboard thing and costs us twelve dollars, but it looks like a million bucks, and that's our closing gift. And then we send them a, a you know closing gift stamp. So our average closing gift is thirty dollars. You know what I mean? So it just doesn't cost a lot of money what we're doing. And that's why I, I tend to focus on two or three things and stick with it because I know I could do a million other things, but what's the point if I just have to spend a bunch of money? So by focusing on a few things and getting really good at them, you're also able to achieve these efficiencies or these economies of scale where you're able to reduce your cost and therefore increase your net. That's fantastic. Even my accountant says he does a ton of realtors. He's like, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know how you do it. But I do it because, you know, I already live with no money, so I don't want to do that twice, you know. Once with a <laughs> <laughs> It's not high on my list of things I want to do in my later years, you know. Well, Leslie, what drives you? It's very interesting. It's all for me about having fun. And, you know, people are like, well, how does working a ton have, you know, well, the thing is, is that, you know, I have five children, I have four grandkids, and every single week, all I can do, and I have a lot of friends, and all I can really do every single week is figure out how to fund my lifestyle. And my lifestyle is not, you know, having <laughs> a Gucci purse or whatever. It's being able to take my whole family to Mexico every year which is now my immediate family is now 14 people and pay for everything. It's being able to take my friends that might not have any money to Nashville for their birthday. It's, it's the freedom. It's, it's money, but it's money in a different way it, because the money buys me the freedom to do what I want to do. And I, I, I'm very, very, very big on balance. I spend a ton of time with my grandchildren. I spend a great deal of time with my husband Last night I was out with one of my friends. Tonight I'm going to a title company thing where a ton of my friends are going to go to. This weekend we're going up to our lake house and we're having 30 friends over for a barbecue. And, you know, instead of having hot dogs, you know, I can have skirt steaks. Do you know what I mean? So that's what drives me. So it's not about me having a nice car or a nice purse. It's about being able to share what I've been able, fortunate enough to have with the people I really care about. Leslie, why have you been so successful? I think a lot of it is I enjoy it. I mean, yes, there's days I really don't enjoy it, but I enjoy what I do. I think I'm well aware of the freedom that I have. I was never a great student, which is why I went to one semester of college and ended it really quickly. And I I think a lot of it is in the beginning, I really didn't have much of a choice. Otherwise, we were all going to starve to death. But um I think what drives me now is literally just knowing that I have the freedom to pretty much do anything I want within reason. You know, I mean, if I want to have a lake house, I could just build one, you know, and it's that freedom. It's not about the material thing. It's the freedom to know that I could do that if that's what I want to do. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but by building that lake house, I am able to have all my kids every single weekend, all weekend long. We have the best time. I love my son-in-laws, you know, it, it's, so that's what, what drives me is just my family and friends and all of this is just a catalyst to get to there. That's how I see it. Leslie, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Well, obviously, if you're a brand new agent getting into business, the biggest thing is you have to pick something that you enjoy doing related to the business. 
for example, if you hate doing open houses, don't do them because you're not going to be good at it. I think the next thing, the one thing I will say that I did that I think was huge, I found somebody that was doing well, and I found other, like, star power at the time, but, you know, somebody that was doing well, and asked them if they'd be willing to not mentor me because busy people really don't want to. I get asked the question all the time, but really kind of watch what they're doing. And the biggest thing is the minute you do anything, just make it a system because it's, it's a key to success. And I think a lot of new agents, what happens is they try a million different things. They try something for two months and it doesn't work. And so they're like, oh, that didn't work. Pick two or three things to do with absolute consistency. You know, and that's what I would say. So, for example, if you're if you're going to work with a company like Market Leader, I mean, which is I think top producer or whatever, and that's what you're going to do, just do it for 12 months and do it with absolute conviction and consistency, because that's the key to this whole thing: systems and consistency. That's what I figured out when I was brand new, my you know the first year when I did what I told you I did, whatever that was. I picked two or three things. I did open houses, I did floor time, and I mailed out just solds. Those were the three things I did when I was new. And I did those same things over and over and over again for many years in a row. And I, I just kept doing more and more business, and then I got help. And that's the other thing. A lot of agents get to the point where they know they need to do something, but their the fear steps in the way of, oh, I don't want to hire somebody because oh, what if I don't have enough hours or what if I don't have enough money or what if, what if, what if, you know, forget the what if. Nobody's going to die if you hire somebody and you don't have enough hours for them. The worst case is you'll let them go. (laughs) There's no bad decision. Leslie, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? They're invaluable. That is literally was a huge key to my success. I listened, and that was my point of just bringing this up. I listened to interview after interview of people that were seasoned producers, and there were certain people that I completely identified with and other people that I'm like, this is of zero value to me. And I just took what I liked, and I left the rest behind. I didn't get all caught up on, well, that was a waste of time, or I'm not doing that, or, wow, I don't have that kind of money. When you listen to these interviews, and when I listen to these interviews, I would literally sit there with a pen. And listen for the pearls that would come along. And there were times, I mean, I would listen to some super high-tech person that's geotagging, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there is no way I'm ever doing this. And instead of getting upset about it, like, well, that's stupid, it doesn't work, you know, which a lot of people say when they don't like what they hear, you just take what you like and leave the rest behind. Everybody has something to offer. I have Pay It Forward Tuesdays in my office quite, you know, a lot where agents ask me, can we go to lunch? I say, just come in my office from 10 to 12 on Tuesday. We'll sit down. I'll go through whatever, which they almost fall over because they're my direct competition. They can't believe I would do it. And I cannot tell you how many times they could be brand new agents. They say something and I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> or there's one agent in my market that's doing really, really well with Trulia. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? You know, and then she was just telling me, well, the minute I've got this guy comes to my phone and I call the people immediately and I'm thinking, well, yeah, when mine comes to my phone, I like stare at it for a week. So no wonder I'm actually calling it. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, why am I paying for zip codes if I'm not going to call the people back? It's kind of stupid. So every time I meet with somebody, I get something out of it too. Well, Leslie, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? 
My only parting thought is there's no right or wrong way to do this real estate thing. It's just pick what you like to do within the scope of the business. Pick two or three things that you like. But the number one thing I would say is if you want to have any semblance of an existence, life-wise or business-wise, you have to get a database, you have to work it, and you have to continue listening to interviews like this because this is what's going to make the ideas pop in your head. And once you get these ideas, if you have the systems in place, they become systems. That's how you succeed with all the knowledge you gain. Well, Leslie, you give sage advice. You had a fast start in real estate and never looked back. You were driven to succeed through necessity, and you continue to succeed so you can share the fruits of your labor with your family and friends. You built your business based on conviction, consistency, and systems. You've mastered the fundamentals, focused on the methods that work, built systems for consistency, and achieved an amazing 71% net profit margin. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 101 homes last year and loves to prospect for business. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.